Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 14, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The sheer ID number for Friday, June 12th, is 7725. That's 7725. This morning, A Vision for You presents The Miracle of Recovery from Despair to Hope. All of us have come to this program as a result of the suffering, frustration, pain, and despair we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. Beaten into a state of reasonableness, we come to the realization that we are doomed. This experience of powerlessness becomes the driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. Such is the paradox of the 12-step recovery process, strength arising out of complete defeat and weakness, the loss of one's old life as a condition for finding a new one. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous represent a process of spiritual transformation. We have had a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. We are changed in the way we think, the way we feel, and especially in the way we behave. What distinguishes the 12-step process from self-help programs is that this, is, this change is done to us, not by us. The sunlight of the spirit deep down inside us is allowed to shine up and through us. Yes, it is a message of hope. Yes, it is a message of possibility. Yes, we are restored to sanity. Joining us this morning is Larry, a recovered compulsive overeater and dedicated messenger on a vision for you. Larry's consistent messages of hope are an expression of his belief that the big book can change your life just as dramatically as it did his. And we welcome Larry this morning. Thank you so much for your gracious, generous service, Larry. Uh, Leah, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thanks. Okay, good, good, good. I never quite know when I'm uh, unmuted or not, but uh, uh, it's a good thing to to uh, to make sure that I am. Um, thank you so much uh, for for your service, Leah. And you know, the miracle of recovery from despair to hope. And you know, this morning, you know, I'd like to speak to you about miracles. And but, the, but since the miracle of recovery for me has been about a journey of, of struggle and ultimately about transcendence and rebirth, I'm also prepared first to, to speak to you today a little bit about the despair that was to be the spark that, you know, would eventually lead me to an extraordinary change. I honestly, I didn't think it was possible for me. Um, well, let me, let me start by defining a couple of terms. Let's look at a couple of workable definitions that perhaps we can, we can agree upon. First of all, if I'm going to attempt to speak about miracles, it's probably reasonable that I define just what a miracle is, um, you know, because one person's miracle may indeed be another person's uh, coincidence. And what happened to me, I can tell you, was no, no coincidence. Um, 
you know, a miracle is defined in most dictionaries by, uh, well, I read a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Wonder, marvel, sensation, phenomenon, supernatural mystery. It also said, I also read it said a highly improbable or extraordinary event, development, or accomplishment uh, that brings very welcome consequences. This, you know, for me was, was certainly uh, improbable. And um, reflecting back, it was quite extraordinary. Sounds about right. Um, it's funny, too. When I looked up the de- definition of a miracle and they used, you know how they use the word uh, in a sentence, it said the following word for word, and I'm not making this up. His recovery was a blessed miracle. Um, is it odd or is it God? I, I, who knows? Um, okay, let's, let's examine the definition for the word despair. Despair, this, is, this describes where I, where I came from and perhaps where you came from. The complete loss or absence of hope. Some of the words that are synonymous with this hopelessness, disheartenment, discouragement, desperation, distress, anguish, unhappiness. You know, I, I don't think most of us would have uh, too much difficulty identifying with that state of mind. Um, in fact, it's, it's, it's highly likely that there's, there's more than a few people on the line this morning, you know, perhaps listening to the recording, who are presently in the midst of despair. So I, I remember what that felt like, waking up another day, you know, sort of like the movie Groundhog Day. Another day, try it all over again, the same thing. Try to get a different result, see if I can control it more. You know, they're feeling a complete and total absence of hope. You know, looking back, maybe not a particularly bad place to be, at least in retrospect, it wasn't for me. I needed to be at that place. Um, I needed to be, you know, to be flattened, to stand up, you know, slowly. In fact, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, which, which, is, which is our text, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, is in its precise definitions and, and in, in its precise instructions is what got me well. Um, it writes about this state of mind of despair so clearly on page 151, uh, the first two paragraphs in the fourth edition in the chapter entitled A Vision for You. And uh, I'm going to read that. It said, we, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. You know, this, this basically describes it. See, you know, I, I know the depths of despair, frustration, and terror. Um, this disease hadn't killed me yet, um, but towards the end, I was, I was a dead man walking. And like the person on death row who is experiencing the chilling hours before this inevitable, you know, execution, uh, like a death row inmate, I, I tried to remain detached from the reality of my situation. By the way, I read, the, I read something uh, I read from We Agnostics. What I meant to read, but that, that actually fit. What I meant to read was page 
151, actually, from A Vision for You, and I did not read that. Let me read that now. It said, this, this is what I was going to read, the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of cane alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding and companionship and approval. Momentarily we did, then, we, then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. That's, that's the uh, despair that I felt. I read the, the bedevilments, which I'm going to read again, by the way. Um, you know, the, it was like the death row inmate. I was a dead man walking. And, you know, I was detached from the reality of my situation. You see, because food was no longer a pleasure for me towards the end. It was my master. And I wanted, you know, desperately to stop. You know, I wanted another chance. I wanted to reboot, you know, my, my internal computer. I wanted to get a do-over. You know, many times, you know, from the, from the trench, trenches of despair, you know, please, God, stop the pain. You know, lift me from this quicksand, you know, or words, you know, that, that express that sentiment. And it seems that, that Bill W., you know, in the big book, recognized the state of mind as well in, in reflecting back on his, his own alcoholism and despair. And in, in his own words, he described this mindset on page eight in the big book, in Bill's story. He said, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand had stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. See, I can relate to that. The food, food was my master. There's no question. I was owned by food. And for me, there was other despair. I remember the despair. I was thinking, you know, when I was, when I was uh, you know, putting this together because I've shared, you know, parts of my story. But it is my story, you know, and, and little things seep up to me. And I, I remember the despair I felt when I had busted out the front windshield of my car. See, I did this many, many years ago when I was uh, driving with my wife at the time, um, heading back from Madison, Wisconsin to Chicago. We lived up in Madison for a number of years. So there I am driving, you know, I don't know, 65, 70, who knows, but definitely highway speed between Madison and Chicago. And it was just prior to the Christmas holiday, perhaps 1992 or 93, living in Madison at the time, we were newlyweds. We were heading back to Chicago to spend time with family. And, you know, I remember fresh off a, a major binge the evening before. You know, I was full of a number of things. You can imagine what I was full of. Um, it wasn't just food, but I was full of self. I was prone to, to bursts of unpredictable anger. And, you know, my wife, you know, she was, she was a good person and is a good person. This is the, the mother of my daughter. She's a person of integrity. You'd like her. You know, she, she's, she's, she's pretty much the same person she was then. I'm not, by the grace of God. But, you know, so there I was. Uh, I was uh, prone to bursts of, that, of unpredictable anger and, and uh, narcissistic to the extreme. And there I was, you know, driving towards Chicago in the heat of an argument about some drama. I always found something, some drama. 
that I've, I've long since forgotten the origin of, but, but I'm quite sure I, I contributed to this. And, you know, I, I, so at some point well into the drive, we're almost home. I pull off to get some gas, you know, unable to let the argument end. And I never did that. So I proceed to get back on, you know, the highway after getting gas still in the throes of that argument. I'm, I'm jabbering away. My lips are flapping. Going the, now I'm going the wrong direction, back to Madison. See, I didn't realize it. You know, and I'm, I'm pontificating on the, all the reasons I'm right, you know, for the next hour, not realizing that I'm heading back the way we came. Now, she and her, you know, she didn't realize it either. I mean, how could she? You know, it was the, the nutcase that required one's full attention, for sure. So at some point, I, I come out of my, you know, self-centered days, and I, and I see a, a, a sign on the road there. It says, uh, Madison, next, next exit. I kid you not, that happened. That's when I lost it. And, you know, all it took was, was basically a right jab into the windshield directly in front of me. It wasn't much. I was 100 pounds heavier than I am today. And, um, well, the next frame... We see an instant picture, an instant spider web of cracked windshield as we're driving, you know, on the highway from end to end uh, uh, of the windshield. You know, our, our jaws dropped in bewilderment. I mean, it, that stopped the argument cold for sure, right? It, it, um, see, this disease didn't just rob me of, of my physical health through 100 pounds of additional weight. It, it robbed me of other things that, that normal human beings are capable of relationships, emotional intimacy, capacity for joy and peace, acceptance of what is, you know, all these, all these things, the ability to control my emotional nature, you know, to use the correct emotion for the correct situation. It's, we call it emotional intelligence, which I, I was devoid of. And I wanted to be better. I wanted to act better. You know, on page, page 52 in the big book in We Agnostics um, is what I just read, and they, they seem to know about a guy like me. You know, imagine that, a book, our base, basic text published in 1939, describes how I was bedeviled. And, uh, you know, a bedevilment, I mean, that simply means how I'm afflicted, tormented, plagued by this disease. And um, I'm just going to touch on that again, it's, you know, we were having trouble with our personal relationships. Yep, and I certainly was. Couldn't control our emotional natures, prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, had a feeling of uselessness, were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real, real help to other people. And, um, you know, I, here's how, that, that's how Bill described me, and I, I, I identify with that. I like to, to put my name in there sometimes to identify more fully and read these develop, these bedevilments as questions. So, you know, please indulge me that, you know, was, was I having trouble with personal relationships? Well, hmm, let me see if the windshield episode was out of character for me. No. The relationships I had with, you know, family members, friends, coworkers, patients, I'm a psychologist. Don't, don't roll your eyes. That's the, hey, can you imagine? Um, and even strangers on the street can best be described by the, the three Fs. Fear-based, fraudulent, and another word that might offend you or make you blush. But basically, you know, my relationships were, were one-sided. You know, it's like, like, hi, nice to meet you. 
how may you help me? You know, I mean that 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 was that was that was me. You know, and could I control my emotional nature? Well, you know, again, referring back to the windshield episode, if you spent enough time with me, you'd quickly realize that you'd have to walk on eggshells when you were around me. My emotional nature was unpredictable. It was hazardous. You know, I should have walked around with a you know with a sign around you know my neck saying you know hazardous road ahead proceed with caution. I mean, that's what it was like to be around me. And, you know, a prey to misery and depression. Well, I can tell you that I've been treated, you know, for panic attacks and anxiety disorder, you know, for, you know, most of my adult life. Um, Ironically, up until the time I had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, I'm not suggesting I didn't have a predisposition towards perhaps anxiety or depression, but um, depression is usually a, a comorbidity with anxiety. That that means that, you know, certain disorders tend to appear with other disorders. But most of the time, you know, truth be told, I was too numbed out by, by my binge foods to feel much of anything. You know, I, I probably would have told you at the time that I wasn't depressed. And, and let me tell you, addicts, most especially a psychologist here, have an uncanny ability to to misdiagnose themselves, to tell you what's wrong with themselves. You see, what I did, um, I don't know if this is a male trait, because I know there's mostly women on this line or listening, but I'm sure that you can, we all can relate to some degree. You see, I, I compartmentalized my problems as I perceived them at the time. So did I have anxiety? Yes. Did I have a problem with food? No question. Did I have a problem with intimacy, both emotional and physical? Yes. Did I have a temper? Oh, absolutely. Was I selfish? Yeah, that was that was in its in its compartment as well. But were any of these connected in some way? Oh my goodness, no, no. These these were just separate things. These these were not symptoms of of my spiritual malady. No, the, the, these were just life issues that everybody deals with. After all, who would know better about these things than me? You know, could I could I make a living? Well, let's just say that was highly debatable. You know, by the grace of God, I, I somehow scratched out a living while sinking uh, deeper and deeper into the quicksand over time. And, you know, one thing's for certain, I, I couldn't save a nickel if one was taped to my nose. And, um, you know, so I, I, I could not make a living. Did I have a feeling of uselessness? Well, when the disease began to progressively tighten its noose around my neck, I wasn't particularly helpful to anyone least of all myself. And even in my profession, I was absolutely unable to help those most in need. And I do have perhaps one of my biggest regrets, you know, that I had in coming into this program was that, uh, you know, that I, I was not able to help a young man, you know, I was working with years ago from taking his own life. And, you know, I remember his mother was so thankful to me at the wake, the funeral in the wake, for all I had done. You know, while I recognize that I'm just a man who's not, you know, responsible for saving the world, I can't help but feel that had I been in program at that time, had I, you know, perhaps had a spiritual awakening, in other words, had I had a vital transformational experience that would have changed me from a a self-centered uh, person to a God-centered person, um, I think I would have been better equipped to help that young man from committing suicide. 
you know, today I've changed by the grace of God. You know, was I full of fear? Well, and I spoke a little bit about that, you know, with the fear and anxiety were my constant companions. You know, there wasn't a day that went by before coming into the program where fear did not rule me. You know, whether I was afraid of getting caught, you know, for what I wasn't doing that I should be doing. I was afraid of losing what I had. I was afraid I wouldn't get what I deserved. I was afraid I would get what I deserved. See, there was, no, there was no possibility of intimacy for me without fear, physical intimacy especially. You know, I was abused uh, as a child, uh, physical and emotional abuse that took its toll. Um, it's not an excuse. It is part of my story. It's part of my history. Um, you know, the, in fact, the only time my fear was abated was when my hand was submerged in a bakery box or a cellophane bag. Um, you know, when we're numbed out, we feel nothing. So, you know, perhaps I had 30, 60, you know, minutes of oblivion several times a day, you know, stretched into one day, into another day, into another day. And oftentimes, even my sleeping moments were full of anxiety. It's not like that anymore. See, you know, our dreams, Freud said, that the royal road to the unconscious mind well, for me, they're often littered with fearful imagery that seep into our wakeful moments. You know, there was no respite from the dreaded four horsemen, bewilderment, terror, loneliness, and despair, not even in my dreams. But let me transition back to the miracle part. See, for me, the first miracle that occurred, occurred well before I was a thought in anyone's mind. It, it was later to change my life. It starts on page, 50, uh, page 15, Roman numeral, 15. And it's in the forward to the second edition of the big book. The bottom paragraph says, and I quote, the spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. Following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of the day. And he had been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members, and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned of the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets, of the Oxford groups. He was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. I mean, let's, let's face it, you know, folks, if, if that meeting between Bill and Dr. Bob had not occurred, it's fairly reasonable to presume that I may still be digging my grave with a spoon, a knife, and a fork in 2015, and, you know, I'd probably be dead. I mean, I, and I, I don't, you know, want to exaggerate or sensationalize what has occurred on my behalf, but how else can I account for what happened to me and so many others since 1939? All by following the simple steps in a book. If I didn't if, if it didn't happen to me, I would have believed it's fiction. 
and for a long time I thought it was fiction until it happened to me. Was it a miracle that, you know, that Dr. Silkworth explained to Bill the grave twofold nature of the disease that was killing him? And it's right there in the, in the doctor's opinion on, on page XXVIII. You see, we have an allergy of the body and we have an obsession of the mind. It starts out saying, we believed and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. You know, and, and then at the bottom of the same page, Dr. Silkworth, Silkworth expands on this, uh, discussing the obsession of the mind. And this, you know, from what I've experienced, is the far more troubling, problematic aspect of this disease because, you see, it convinced me that I could do the impossible. It assured me, the obsession of the mind assured me that I could control my food. It robbed me of my sanity. You know, it, it took a person like me who, you know, it looks good on paper. You know, I have all the degrees, all the, the societal evidence that I'm sane. And it convinced me of a lie that I could moderate my food, that I could eat like a normal person, that the heroin, if you will, won't hurt me this time, just a little, that I can beat the system, I could beat the game, I could put one over. I can manipulate to get what I want. But the last paragraph on XXVIII, in the doctor's opinion, says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. This sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity, you know, without consequence. And after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful, with a firm resolution not to drink again, and this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. See, all I could see was what the food was doing for me. It was giving me that, oh, dear God, thank you for that. Oh, rather than what it was doing to us, it was killing me. But it says, it goes on to say, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, and that was me, I didn't understand. Once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. I never got it. That was, that was the, those simple rules were just doing the steps. You see, the first time I read this, it really resonated with me, this, this part. I think I identified in right away with the obsession of the mind. 
the allergy of the body, not so much. It took me a while to get to a place of acceptance that there were, you know, certain binge substances that I could not consume, could not consume them. I mean, the diet mentality was so ingrained in my consciousness that I really thought this whole deal was more about calories in, calories out. I had not heard the idea expressed before about complete abstinence with regard to food. And I, for me personally, I had to be totally out of ideas before I was to embrace the notion of the allergy, this adverse reaction. You know, my daughter, I get maybe two because my daughter has a peanut allergy. And, you know, and so an allergy to me is, you know, your throat closes up, you have, you know, you, you, get, you get a rash, you know, the whole deal. Um, some have more severe allergies than others. I didn't realize that the way they were using the word allergy, the way Dr. Silkworth was using it at the time, wasn't simply an adverse reaction. And, um, you know, and it was, you know, with my daughter, it would be the equivalent of her, you know, consuming peanuts, which she has before on uh, accident, taking out a wrapping pen. It saves her life, you know, as her throat is closing up, it opens up her throat, you know, and she can breathe again. And, and, and pretty much, you know, she can go back to normal. How insane would it be if she ran right out to get some peanut M&Ms? That's about the best idea she had after her life was saved. But that is precisely what we do. That's the obsession of the mind. For some reason outside of our control, we, we, uh, we go out and pick up that, the, the bin substance again. She doesn't have an obsession of mind. That's why there's no Peanuts Anonymous. And really, to my knowledge, there's no Peanuts Anonymous being planted. You know, I, I had to stop injecting myself with even a trace amount of my binge substance. You know, I use that term, you know, because oftentimes we don't see the seriousness of this. You know, certainly if we saw a movie or a TV show and we, we've seen this before or, you know, a news show where someone's injecting themselves with heroin, and then they go into that oblivion. We don't see ourselves. Come on, we're just eating food. One, no one's going to throw us in prison for eating food. And furthermore, we see our family and friends and other people in our environment doing the same thing. So it can't be all that bad, can it? Except for the problem that people are dying. They're dropping like flies from this disease. And it's not on their death certificate either. They're going to call it other things like heart failure, complications from diabetes, they're not going to call it, you know, died a compulsive overeater. We're not at that point yet, but maybe someday we might be. So, you know, I, I had the only thing that was going to stop me from that, you know, was the implementation of these steps. And, um, and, and if I tried to implement these steps for me personally uh, without putting that bin substance down even a little bit, you know, um, it would be utterly and incontrovertibly ineffective. Not because you say so, but because that was my experience. It was ineffective. But rest assured, the disease would have to convince me. I was so full of pride, and I was too smart for my own good, or so I thought, and I was not teachable for a long time. In other words, I was lacking humility. My ego, as the big book tells me, must be smashed. 
And the process of smashing was not going to be done on my terms, according to my will in my time frame. It just wasn't. You know, so what was the basic solution to these bedevilments that were so intricately intertwined with my character flaws? Well, the big book tells me in the chapter We Agnostics some absolutely essential critical information. And on page 45, it says, lack of power, that was our dilemma. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how will we define this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. You know, um, in learning to lean into the practical program of action, you know, not, not the practical program of contemplation. It's not the practical program of debate or analysis. I tried that. Didn't work. You know, if we lean into the practical program of action, we rapidly and actively submerge ourselves into the work. We submerge ourselves into the work. So it's not simply about reading. wasn't for me. It's not simply about getting on the vision line, calling your sponsor. You know, those are, I'm not diminishing the importance of those things. Please, I hope you don't hear that. The tools are critical to support you while you get well. But the tools were never, ever designed by our pioneers to get you well. And what happened to this program, in my opinion, is it became watered down over time. And that's why Vision for You, nothing special there other than we, you know, get back to the basics of this text, which got us well. You know, um, I don't think the last I heard that Leah earns commission on the numbers of people that show up to vision. And, and I'm sure she could use it, <laughs> but, but she doesn't. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is, you know, is it, it, you know, we're on this line, all of us, because we're attracted to what? To the recovery that we hear on the line. That's incontrovertible. We, you, you may, you're, you know, my voice may be like, um, you know, scratching a chalkboard for you. I, I don't know. For, I'm quite sure, statistically speaking, someone's like, ugh, not you again, dear God. But, you know, the thing is, is that I'm attracted to the recovery of, of, of these beautiful people. You know, and I, whether it's on the vision line or I, anywhere, I'm attracted to people who have, whose lives have gone from the depth of despair to a miraculous recovery. And they don't, have not found it necessary to pick up their bin substances in whatever number of days or, or, or months or years. So in a nutshell, you know, there are three primary elements of this program, you know, I've learned. Number one, what is the problem? Number two, what is the solution to the problem? And number three, how do we bring that solution to life? What is the problem? What is the solution to the problem? And how do we bring that solution to life? And, and there are 12 steps that we take in sequence, and we don't take them alone. Just like in 1939, we're guided by a sharing partner. 
perhaps a, a sponsor you may call him or her, someone who has, you know, who has been through this process, someone who has experienced the spiritual awakening. Um, I call him another drunk, another compulsive overeater, another junkie, another gambler, another sex addict, and so it goes. On page 48 in We Agnostics, it reminds us, faced with alcohol destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. And, you know, I love the story of Ebby Thatcher that, you know, showed up at Bill's home, called Bill and showed up there. Um, because one of the reasons is perhaps we all have our Ebby, you know, that, that showed up. Uh, mine appeared uh, as a, uh, a patient that I was working with that I thought I was helping. And all the while he was 12-stepping me, um, you know. But w- one of the things that I love about Ebby is that, it's, it's really where it began, you know, this notion of finding a higher power of your own understanding. It just can't be you, you know. And, and so that opened the door up, you know, to, because I, I'm not a, a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. And, you know, so to me, this program, one of the, the beauties of this program is the fact that we can come to believe in a power greater than ourselves, one of our own understanding. And it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, my understanding of a higher power or this person or that person's. It can be your understanding. And if the higher power of your current understanding is not enabling you through these steps to, uh, you know, to be able to, to get to recovery, then, then perhaps I've heard it said by others, you need, to, you need to find a new one. You need to find a new one. You know, maybe my, maybe my vision was too, my vision of a, a power greater than myself was too small. I know it was for me. What, what in the world would my higher power, why would my higher power be worried about my food and my fat, my fat body? Well, there was, there was a lot of um, recovery to, to occur for me. And, um, you know, today I can tell you often in the midst of calamity, major challenge, illness, Today I'm going to my, my dad's, uh, the, the one-year anniversary of his death. There's a, a dedication ceremony. Um, you know, financial uncertainty at times in my life, um, relationship ups and downs. You know, but the thing is, is I could look you square in the eye if you were here, and I could tell you that God has done for me what I could not do for myself. It's like I've been reborn, not in any dramatic religious context, but I mean, come on. I was a wretch who busted windshields, stole money from others, including the father that I'm going to uh, pay tribute to today. I treated people with contempt. I looked out for number one. And now, by the grace of God, I, I don't think or behave in any of those ways anymore. And, and, I, and I'd love to be able to tell you, you know, the newcomer, that you can just read a book absorb some information, control your environment, you know, hang around a different, more enlightened crowd, and that this vital transformational experience will happen for you. And maybe it will, I don't know, but that's not my experience. 
if those things work for you, you know, if they, if they work for me, I would tell you if they, if they work for you, great. I'd love to hear about it, but they didn't work for me. I tried to have it my way on my terms and it didn't work. Working the steps, learning true humility in the process of, of self-examination, making restitution from a, from a place of true desire to right my wrongs without seeking payoff, coming to believe in a power greater than myself, helping others with no desire for payoff, developing a means of conscious contact with God. See, this, these are the things that all resulted in the changes necessary to continue on this theme of recovery. Because, see, my cancer, if you will, is in remission. That's, that's how I see it. My cancer is in remission. I get a one-day reprieve. It's not challenging. I'm not scared of my cancer coming back. But I know that I'm not cured. What I have is a daily reprieve contingent upon, you know, my, my growth, contingent upon my spiritual, um, my, my, you know, my, my spiritual um, continuity, really. And, and that's what's necessary to stay on this beam of recovery. And the big book reminds us, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. Well, what's the payment? Is it, was it the elimination of my binge foods? That's what I, I kind of thought the payment was. No, the payment was destruction of my ego. And I couldn't destroy my own ego because I wanted respite from this disease. My, my own ego was going to be smashed. It is smashed is a, almost a violent word, but it was uh, smashed in a very, um, in a way in which slowly but surely I began to change. And I didn't even see these changes that were coming. They snuck up on me as I worked this program. So I trudged, you know, through this program. And, um, you know, and my life's different today. I have a peace and serenity, in, you know, today and a gratitude today. It's raining here in Chicago, the Chicago area today. So I'm going to dad's, you know, dedication. And I'm going to speak at that. Are you kidding? You know what I'd be doing? I mean, let's, let's talk. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be, well, first I'd be binging probably a dozen bagels. No, I could do that. I could put away a dozen bagels. And I did on a regular basis. That would be, we'd call that Sunday, you know, and, and, and then I would get there and, uh, you know, and I would be zoned out. I would feel nothing. I would be robbed of all feeling. And then I would, I, I would, you know, all these these people, these 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 family members and friends and so forth, they they were just, um, you know, they, they they were all, you know, people that I either had a resentment towards, a fear towards, um, you know, it was just, you know, it would be a difficult situation. And then I know I would leave. And no one would ever see me binge. Are you kidding? That was too shameful. But on the way home, then I would stop. I would make my 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 drive-through runs, and I would I would go home. You know, um, married? No, I did that twice. I, I you know, among other things, you can see why it didn't work out at the time. But among other things, I would I needed that isolation. It's why, uh, as a psychologist and a teacher too. I could sort of come in and come out, you know, of the work. And I could get to my fix. 
you know, I use those terms because did I inject heroin? No, but I mean, come on, it's the same underlying dynamic, seeking that ease and comfort, that oblivion, you know, and uh, it's not like that anymore today. Today I get the the, the ability, uh, God, by the grace of God, I can help other people. I can be there today for, uh, you know, with my family. I can feel whatever feelings. I can have relationships. I can have intimacy today. Emotional intimacy, it's a, it's a great gift. I never knew what that was like. So anyways, um, Leah, thank you so much. With that, I'm going to pass. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Larry, for sharing your miraculous story of transformation with us this morning. Thank you for such an inspirational message of recovery. And Larry's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We're now going to open the floor up for questions. If you have questions for Larry, you can press star 1 to unmute, identify yourself, and direct a question Good morning, Mary Lee in Paso Robles, California. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Mary Lee R. in California. Mary Lee. Lee. Hold on one second. Anyone else with questions this morning for Larry? Kathy K. Hi, this is is Leah. Kathy K. Who else? Jose from New York. I heard another woman. Kathy K. And who was the other woman? Leah, it's Mary Lou in Southern California. Mary Lou. And then the gentleman was? I didn't catch the man's name. Charles H. from New York. Hey, Charles. Okay. Let's start there with Mary Lee. Thanks. Oh, God morning, visionaries. Um, Larry, thank you. Thank you for being of service for as long as I've been on a vision for you and Leah and everyone else. I kind of have two questions. One is what your morning and evening um, routine is like. And two, um, how do you address forgiveness? Thank you. Oh, those are, those are great questions. Thanks so much. Um, well, let me address the, uh, the, the first part. Okay, so uh, morning and evening routines. Um, you know, like a lot of folks, I, I you know, I have a very busy life. And, um, you know, but uh, when I wake up in the morning, um, and, and this just, this just is, has, is how things have evolved for me. Um, I immediately go into, as soon as I open my eyes, I immediately go into the step three prayer and the step seven prayer. And, um, you know, those are things that just come as natural as brushing my teeth and breathing. You know, it's become that way. Early on, you know, I would it was suggested I do those things, and I did them, and it seemed like more of an effort. And that was just me learning. You know, my my brain had to begin to get acclimated to doing that. Um, but now, um, getting centered with God, you know, is important. Before I get on the the vision line Monday through Friday um, each morning, it's a beautiful way to start my day. So prior to that, because I'm an early riser, um, like all of us, <laughs> especially you folks out west getting on the, uh, the line so early, um, I, I get up early, so I have time to meditate a little bit. And my form of meditation, I know people um, in program uh, that I'm close with that, that meditate and, and pray in, you know, in a very active way and, and 
you know, and they take their time in the morning to do that. I, to me, it just kind of comes, I mean, I get up, I sit on the couch, and, uh, and my meditation sometimes takes the form of, you know, prayer. Sometimes it's just quiet time uh, where I let, you know, my mind clear out. I need to, to have that basis in which to, contact, to, to make conscious contact with God. After all, God saved my life. So, uh, so that's that's just what I do in the evening. Um, you know, of course, I have my breakfast in the morning as well, and, and all that stuff goes in there. My my, I put boundaries around my food today. Um, that in the evening, um, you know, the evening is somewhat similar in that I know before I go to bed, um, you know, that I pray. Again, for me, um, my prayers, you know, are um, more free form, and I. I also go through my day in my mind. Um, I know people that, you know, feel more comfortable, um, you know, at the end of the day, if they uh, go through uh, sort of an inventory of, you know, um, their day, and they, maybe they do a 10-step inventory. For me, I do that throughout the day because uh, my mind at the end of the day, because I, I you know, particularly on a work day, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, I tend uh, to begin to kind of uh, my energy wanes over time. So to me, um, I'm doing the 10-step inventory throughout the day. But at the end of the day, I do uh, think about how, what I could have done better, how I could have been more aligned with my higher power. Um, and I look at those things. If there's any resentments, if there's any, um, if there's any fears, any harms done to others, I will inventory those. Um, and I usually end the day with prayer. A lot of times. My partner and I, um, she and I will pray together. That's uh, um, something that I never did in uh, partnership with uh, someone, certain my marriages. But today uh, I do that, and it's just this, this the most natural, beautiful thing. So that's with that. And then um, you asked a question about, what was the other thing, Leah? Do you recall? Forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness, forgiveness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll just say my, my thoughts about forgiveness um, – is that one of the, the, the most difficult people that I uh, had trouble forgiving was my mother. And um, without going into too much detail right now, I um, had a tremendous resentment that she didn't protect me when I was a, a little boy from harms. And, um, and uh, so it was very difficult. Uh, the, the, the person that perpetrated those harms was long since gone and, you know, many, many years ago. And um, I'm no spring chicken, right? And, so the thing is, is that uh, that was a hard thing for me to do. And I know forgiveness today for me um, is, is about um, acceptance for what was and that forgiveness, I know that the God of my own understanding has forgiven me for, you know, for my indiscretions, for my sins, both sins of omission, things I should have done that I didn't do, things that I actively did that I shouldn't have been doing. And so can I... I, I, by the grace of God and through this program, you know, I have now the capacity to forgive myself and to forgive others. So I can tell you that my, my, my notion of forgiveness is much different for me today than it used to be before. Um, I, I had a real difficult time with forgiveness before, but these steps have changed me in a way. God has changed me and brought me the, the capacity in which to be more forgiving. So I, I hope that helps a little bit. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Mary Lee. Cassie Kay, your turn. <clears throat> Thank you, Leah, for your service. 
and uh, thank you, Larry. It was wonderful to hear you today and identified a lot with many aspects of your story. The piece that I'd like to hear more about is um, you said it towards the end of your talk that your transformation involved uh, reduction of the ego or destruction of the ego, I think you said. Um, and I wondered if you could just say a little bit more or give a few examples of that because it's something that I sometimes have difficulty explaining or even understanding myself. Kathy, nice to glad you're on the line too, um, and thank you. Yeah, no, that that's, that's I think as human beings, you know, we we are born <clears throat> we are born with conditioned somehow wired in which to you know regard ourselves in some way, shape, or form in a certain way, and, and it, it it's hard not to think about ourselves, ourselves in the context of others and so forth. I think the way I read, you know, and experience that destruction of ego, of self, not that it's destroyed, gone. No, it's there. I'm still a human being with the capacity to think about myself. And um, um, as, as I'm doing now, as I'm sharing, uh, you know, so I accept it in my humanness. But I think the difference is, is that what I've experienced again, as the result of this process that we call recovery through these steps, I think the changes that I've seen is that this unseen force, this power source, that I really, you know, like most people, have a hard time wrapping my brain around uh, to understand, you know, the, the machinations and, the, you know, all the mechanisms for this, and that's okay that I don't understand, but I do see that there are many examples in my life today where I just have a natural inclination to, to uh, whereas before, I would immediately think about how everything impacted me. Um, I had very little desire to, uh, to, Kathy, to serve others unless I was going to be receiving something in return. And that as a result of submerging myself in this program, which I did grudgingly for several years. So I, 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 don't, I, I, want, I want you to know that this wasn't like a direct line A to B, just uh, without its blips and out, without, its, uh, you know, without its difficulties. It was not. But I think, you know, coming through this program and the more that I reach out and, and it's like God is, you know, this God of my understanding has tested me, I believe, because the more that I um, desire to reach out to help others, the more that's put on my plate and the better I feel. And so it's just this, this kind of beautiful, beautiful symmetry, you know, of, of serving others. And I think with that, you know, the ego gets submerged, the less opportunity I have to think about me, myself, and I. And so an example would be today. Okay, I'm just thinking of one that came up today. You know, I get a text from my brother like five minutes before. It, it was 7.20 Central Time. So, you know, we're, this starts 7.30 Central Time. And it says, um, you know, because he had, you know, this dedication is going to be at the cemetery. There's going to be quite a few people. And, um, and uh, he said, hey, I want you to speak uh, today. And he was putting it all together. Now, you know, in the past, I can tell you, with the ego looming large for me, it would have been like, are you 
blanking kidding me? You're gonna you're gonna ask me now, you know, to do that. You know, I know how I would have responded. And I think part of, you know, example of the destruction of self is I get these little, like, uh, what I felt right away was uh, gratitude that he had asked, uh, a sense of peace, not knowing what I'm going to say. You know, I have no idea what I'm going to say, but knowing that God will see me through. And so there's not the fear, the anxiety, you know, so I, that would be an example of it's, it's just little things like that. And I know it. And the fact that I ha, that I noticed those things, Kathy, and I never noticed those miracles. Those are miracles to me, those little things. Uh, anyway, I hope that helps a little bit. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Larry. you. Sure. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Mary Lou, please. Hi, Leah. Did you call Mary Lou? Yes. Hi, good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service this morning. And Larry, thank you so much for speaking and taking your time to uh, help in my recovery and our recovery this morning. My question is, do you, when you sponsor someone, uh, what does that look like? What does it look like when you sponsor someone uh, on a weekly basis? What's the regimen and the order? And how? Do, what does that look like? And how many people do you sponsor at a time? And that's my question. Thanks. Thanks for the question. I smile because uh, because I maybe it's a psychologist in me. I uh, uh, you know that's an analytical person that wants uh, you know and uh, and I, I I that way too sometimes. You know what does it look like? What do I what do I you know what do I do? You know, um, gosh, I, I want to give you specifics, but I, I I'm, I'm gonna you know, in the interest of time, I'm just gonna give you the broad sense. Look, you know, it's a great question, and I'm I'm a sharing partner. I got here. I didn't get here on a winning streak. So, all that I have to offer someone else is I. Nobody gets recovered because of Larry K in Chicago. In, in Chicago, I can assure you of that. And I want to mention that because, you know, no human power could have relieved me of the ism, you know, alcoholism, compulsive overeating, that obsession, you know. Uh, but God couldn't would if you were sought. So I really, in the way that I sponsor, might be sl- there may be less consistency than you may think of in terms of the regimen. It depends on the person. I really, as a as a as a as a person, I rely on God to guide me with that person. And I say, you know, I ask God because every every person shows up in a different, you know, uh, in a, with a different situation, a different you know, different preconceived notions, and I try to really listen. You know, um, some people are not ready, and that's okay. I wasn't ready when I had, you know, my first eight sponsors in the first five years when I came into program. Clearly, I wasn't ready, and I had a problem with each of those people, but to some degree, and they're all beautiful people now. And I talk to, to to most of them. Some of them have left the program too. But but your 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 question was what what does it look like? Well, you know, I crack open the big book with someone. You know, that's 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 what got me well. The answers lie in the big book, so I crack open that big book, and um, I'll never forget a person that uh, I was I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed quite a few years ago and someone told me that I really respected the program. They said, I said, do you ever get overwhelmed? And they said, oh yeah, yeah. Open up page 97 and I have it underlined here and dated. 
and working with others. It says never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. So the specifics would be cracking open that big book, reading it. Do I have, uh, you know, am I at their disposal every moment? Of course not. I have to pay, you know, pay the, the mortgage. I have to do all those things like the rest of us do. But um, I would not be helping them if I didn't lead them through, if I didn't, like I heard Leah say one time, and I steal most of her stuff, um, but she probably stole from someone else too, but it is that um, I am like the person holding a lantern, walking side by side, perhaps just to step in front of that person and lighting the pathway, that dark pathway, which are the steps of recovery. And so in order to do that, I, have, I, I read with them. Um, I take them through that process from the very beginning. The first 164 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is our text, and that's what got me well. And so that's what I do with them. Um, but anyways, I, feel free to call me um, or email me. My information will be given out uh, because I'd be happy to talk more specifics with you. Okay, thanks for the question. Thank you, Mary Lou. Charles H., your turn. Thank you, Larry, for your service. Charles H. from New York. Thank you, Larry, for uh, very liberal. It was very freeing um, hearing you uh, this this Sunday morning. Um, my question, you answered well. You answered one of my questions, but uh, <clears throat> one of my questions was to you is or will be to you is um, when you sponsor, obviously you use the the first 164 pages and anything else. Um, in the big book, you know, prior to the 164 pages, including the 164 pages. But um, after you, my my question to you is, after you um, take a sponsor through all 12 steps as is laid out in the big book, A, do you um, take them through the 12 traditions as well? And also, do you, do you read the AA 12 and 12 with them also? And when you do take them, uh, through the big book, do you go paragraph by paragraph, and do you when do you have them read it, the first, the paragraph, and then do you have them elaborate over it? Do you talk first, or do you let them talk, and then and then you just point out some things that you know to highlight to them? Those those are my questions. I know that I'm a complicated individual, Larry. I apologize, but I just wanted to pick your brain um, on that. So thank you. <laughs> Charles and Charles, I'm, I'm sure my age, that, that's a show that used to be on, Charles. You're probably younger than me, but but anyway, no, I like the question. Um, it's it, Yeah, it's um, it's different for everybody. I'll tell you why, because, um, you know, I if I if I have someone, you know, that's brand new, uh, we're going to read line by line, um, you know, and, uh, and because I have to make that commitment to work with them. At the same time, you know, uh, there, there's there's lots of people to reach out and, you know, because, I, look, I put myself out there, so good. You know, it's uh, I want people to reach out to me, see if I, how, how can I be of service to them. So, yeah, I incorporate uh, lots of different things. If someone came and they're uh, clearly more, um, uh, you know, they have, I can sense that they have a good understanding of the big book. You know, perhaps I know them. Perhaps they've been around for a while. 
when I say a good understanding, I don't, I mean that they, uh, they've read through the big book and so forth. We might not read line by line, but generally I think that's important to read line by line together with them. Um, sometimes I work with people where, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely read, you know, paragraphs. We'll read through the first 164 pages. I have a very bad track record. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what I need, not to dissuade anyone, and that is that uh, there's a lot of people that are not ready, and uh, and you know that that's okay. They're not at a place. I wasn't like I said. I can I can relate to that. Um, they're not at a place where they're ready to fully embrace these steps. It's not as though the magic is just in reading the big book line by line. It wasn't for me. Now, by the way, you asked about the, the AA 12 and 12. Absolutely. That's a reader that was published several years after the big book. It's great, a great further elaboration on this that Bill Wilson gave us, and I use that as well. But I stick to, to the big book because that's what got me well. Um, but reading it, look, I, Charles, I read the big book. I'm a good reader. That's why I don't do many things well, but one of the things I do well is I read and 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 um, and I read through that big book probably two or three times from cover to cover, not just 164, because I thought if I read it and devoured it, because I could devour a book, right? You know, and I thought somehow that would be the answer. The you know, for me, the answer was devouring the big book, you know, and that was not the answer. The answer was that the steps in, in the words in the big book show us the specific instructions, as you know, to, um, to work through the steps precisely so that we can have a spiritual awakening or a vital transformational experience or a personality change sufficient to arrest this disease. Now, if someone like myself speed reads through the big book, and, and I could comprehend things too to a certain degree, but it didn't mean that I fully embraced and began to live and breathe this stuff because I wasn't ready. My ego and my lack of humility kept me blocked off from the sunlight of the spirit. And so no matter how fast I read it, no matter how many times I read it, no matter how many meetings I go to, you know, go to 9 billion meetings in 9 billion days, go, you know, uh, uh, call your sponsor, forget, call your sponsor every day, how about you call them 50 times a day? Maybe that will then, you know. But what I was after was losing weight, and I, was n I did not come here, Charles, to have a spiritual awakening. And so uh, I needed to, the disease needed to, to beat me up a bit more, God had to have his way with me a little bit more here, and I had to, um, so it took me, I'm, I'm, I have a thick skull, and it took me a while to fully embrace this stuff. So anyways, I hope that helps a little bit. But the traditions, yes, my track record, you know, once we get to that point, you know, let's get through the steps, let's move through this very rapidly, and let's get to that point, and let's put the binge foods down so that per uh, someone can have a spiritual awakening and uh, of their own, and then they can carry the message. Hope that helps a bit. Thanks. Thank you, Thank Larry. You. Thank sure. you, Charles. Larry, can we take more questions? I know you have a time commitment this morning. Oh, no, absolutely. It's it's only 8.30 here, so I'm, I'm good to go. Larry. You're good? Okay, great. Yep. All right. 
Who else has a question? Mary would love to. Mary. Mary. Mary Mary A. Okay, hold on. Mary, anyone else? Sarah. Sarah W., I believe I heard your voice. Anyone else? For one to unmute. Tara K. Tara K. Who else did I hear back there? Isabel. Isabel. Anyone else with your line unmuted? You want to get in there? Okay, let's start with Mary, please. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Larry. I missed your whole talk. (laughs) I just looked at the clock and said, oh, my goodness, the meeting's on. And I said, oh, I can't believe it. Larry spoke. But I know I'll be able to play it over and over again. And that's what I do with so many of the things you say, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And for all of you, I have really learned so much in the last two years. My question, Larry, is if I have read the big book correctly, when Bill W., who was brought up a religious person in a particular faith, and, of course, he left the faith, and, of course, you know, when Ebby Thatcher said to him, I believe it was Ebby who said to him, okay, Bill, if you're having a hard time, just, you know, just say finding a power greater than yourself, you know. And But as I have read, everything is that as it evolved, all the people from AA, somebody's not muted, if you could please, um, that our book says that as time goes on, you know, you may have a hard time saying God's name, but in time you will. And everything throughout the whole book, there's no question that people have met a living God who actually has changed their life and helped them. My question, um, my uh, thing that I want to say is, I have always respected, I have atheist friends, I have agnostic friends. Even to this day, I have never once said my religion. I just speak as I speak, but I'm not selling my religion. I respect everybody, but I will never, ever say and I don't think Bill W. meant that, that I have to go to the extreme and say, go find whatever power's out there. I don't care what power you you have. You know, you know it doesn't matter. And for me, that would be heresy. Be, somebody's really making a lot of noise. Um, that would be heresy for me. And even in my own faith, it would be everything that I don't believe, even though I don't. I would never say that out of my mouth. So I just wondered if you might just share a little bit about the history of them, you know, uh, bringing God into it. I know so many people have a hard time with it. I don't know if I made myself clear, but thanks for listening. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best if I, if I can try to parse out your question there. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, what it, what it talks about in the big book, look, the big book, this the big book enabled me to have a change, to, to change, to have a personality change from that guy that, well, maybe we're on the line that smashed the windshield to, the, to, to a person, you know, and I didn't do this you know, to a person that, that has peace and serenity, a desire to, uh, to help others. It's, it's, it's so miraculous to me what, what God has done for me that, it defies reason. Now, you know, you bring up some, you know, some points about different, 
religious affiliations. I mean, you didn't even bring up, but I mean, whatever one's religious affiliation, whatever one's belief system is, I can only speak for myself. I don't speak for OA. I'm not a historian in terms of, you know, um, determining what, what, you know, anyone's intention was, our pioneers. I'll just say when I read on page 12 in Bill's story, when they were describing Ebby, you know, Ebby uh, meeting with him and, they, you know, he, Bill goes on and he says, you know, when the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified, this feeling of prejudice that he was describing. He said, I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature. But I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his way might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. And then, you know, Abby sat there and it says, my, my friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It meant, melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. And I'll just wrap up and read this. It, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. So it doesn't matter what I believe. I know, look, I know the history, the Oxford group, you know, starting was a, a Christian group, um, somewhat connected to the temperance movement of the time. And, um, you know, they didn't, frankly, they didn't, um, you know, really accept from what I've read, you know, they, there was like this separate group of, of, of drunks that became affiliated with the Oxford group. And they were sort of an offshoot kind of group, but they were sort of in the fold to a certain extent and began to embrace some of the, the overriding principles like making restitution and, have, you know, uh, having a conscious contact with, the, with God and so forth. But the point is, is even recognizing that that's part of, you know, the evolution of, and the history, the point, you, you know, um, of the beginnings, the point is, is, that I love, one of the things that I personally love about the, the, the 12 steps um, of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we do not subscribe, you know, and it's built into our principles and our traditions. We do not subscribe to a specific, you know, religion. And the reason I like that, I don't, you know, talk about, you know, religious affiliations or anything along those lines. The reason I like that is, look, I see people of all walks of life that have come like me from the scrap heap, that have, their, their lives have been transformed and changed. And I cannot tell you that um, my life has been changed or transformed because I subscribe to a specific religious affiliation. I respect that, you know, that you have your religious beliefs. I respect those that are atheists. I respect those that are agnostics. Um, we, we are an all-inclusive, never-exclusive group. And so I respect all people that way. And, um, and so if someone has a tight uh, Christian basis, great. If you are someone that thought, you know, that's Jewish, terrific. You're someone that doesn't believe in any, uh, you know, in, in, in God. That's fine. We just, in order to recover, we need to find a power greater than ourselves. 
we're not in the business of, you know, making decisions on, you know, as soon as I get in the business, when people call me from all, all around, you know, the country, <laughs> and, they, and they, if I was to say, well, you know, before we get started, you know, let's, let's you know, here's the litmus test, you know, and dot, dot, dot. You know, that would be, I would have missed out on the beauty and the joy of, of, of uh, and the service, you know, of, of, of watching these people become awakened from their slumber. So um, that, that's how I would answer that, but it's a great question. Thanks for asking. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. Sarah W., your turn. Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. Larry, thanks so much for sharing today. I really appreciated it. Um, I wanted to um, talk a little bit about the 10th step because, for me, that's where I went back into relapse. I wasn't utilizing it appropriately, and I think so many people have an issue with it. And I had the opportunity this weekend to be with family, or this past uh, few days to be with family uh, that I hadn't seen in a long time. And like you and most of us, on page 84 where the spot check inventory is um, discussed, um, and we're taught how to do it, you know, it came up. And, you know, sometimes we're with so many people and it can be very difficult to kind of steal away and talk to somebody. So I was wondering if you could give some instances where you had maybe some issues come up where maybe you got a little restless or irritable or, you know, somebody just maybe tripped your trigger a little bit um, saying something, because I know it's happened to me, and I wasn't able to, you know, go do a verbal one. But talk a little bit about how you can handle things as they come up when it's an extremely stressful situation, there's a lot of people around. Um, if you wouldn't mind doing that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. That's that's a, that's a great question as well. Um, you know, uh, so let me let me let me you know stick with something recent. Um, uh, and, and this didn't necessarily involve a lot of people being around. So I can I can search my mind for something there too. But um, you know, step ten yesterday. So I'm I'm talking to my you know, my girlfriend and we're, you know, and, and, and we have, you know, a beautiful relationship and this is also someone in the program as well. And, um, I can tell you that, um, we were touching on a subject where, you know, that, that was kind of a, you know, a challenging subject for us to talk about. And because it makes me, she probably feels vulnerable too talking about this thing. And, and I do, um, as well. And, um, and when I feel real vulnerable, that can, throw me back into that. That's a trigger for me. You know, who knows? I can play the psychologist and say it goes back to, you know, childhood days of being, you know, you know, victimized and ultimately vulnerable that, you know, maybe I, you know, it doesn't matter. The point is, Sarah, that, you know, that I felt very vulnerable and triggered and I can get on my high horse, you know. And so with that, um, I did a, a step 10, you know, and it, it, I mean, the big book, uh, you know, it tells us exactly what to do here. So, you know, it, it says, you know, to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Not if these crop up, because guess what, Larry, they're going to crop up. And so I asked for God to remove this. I was feeling fearful, and I was also feeling resentful towards her. And I asked for God, you know, God, you know, would you, would you, you know, remove this? Uh, I'm feeling resentful. I'm feeling fearful. I don't feel like I have to make a case to God. Would you, in other words, I don't feel that I have to say, God, would you remove this? Because, you know, um, I just, I follow the instructions. It says, ask for God to, you know, to at once, right away, Larry, ask for, for God to remove it. 
then discuss it with someone immediately. And, uh, and I did. I talked about it specifically with someone that I trust and program. I didn't call this person to ask for advice. You know, um, people, you know, may do that. I don't do that. I, I, I follow the instructions. You know, discuss it with someone immediately. Make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Um, you know, and I have to uh, honestly ask for God to help me because sometimes I, it's hard for me to discern, Sarah, if I, like last night, if I created harm. But um, it was late, and, and I wasn't going to call her back. Um, but I'm sure we'll talk um, this morning to, to see if I create any harm, harm there. Um, and then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we could help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And um, interestingly enough, <clears throat> God always throws somebody or some situation. You know, last night, my mother, um, who's, you know, she, she's in her mid-70s and she's alone and so forth. And, uh, um, you know, very independent woman and so forth. But I thought, you know, let me, let me call mom and, you know, let me... And that just kind of came to mind that I could, I could be of help because I know I love when my 20-year-old calls me that I'm sure my mom loves to hear from me, and, and she does, you know. And uh, so I called her, and that was what I did there. But I, I will tell you, Sarah, that dealing with the people, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit uh, fearful about this later Mainly because, do you know that it's much less anxiety-provoking for me to to teach in front of, when I say teach, literally I teach, you know, um, in front of, you know, a, a big lecture hall of students, you know, or, or to be on the vision line than it is, I'm more, it's more anxiety-provoking for me to get up in front of, you know, uh, family members and friends and my dad's dedication for some reason and, and, and say some words. You know, that, so that, that creates a little bit of anxiety for me, um, you know, but I, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to attempt step that, uh, I'm going to talk to someone about that. And, uh, and I know that the whole idea here with the 10 step is we have a means, Sarah, in which that we can shift, we can pivot, you know, literally pivot away from self and towards others and, uh, and somehow bring God into the fold there. And I love when you share, Sarah, you, you know, um, you know, you talk a lot about those things too. And, uh, so I, you know what, um, I don't worry so much about relapse. Um, it just doesn't come to me. Um, the thoughts about that or fears or anything along those lines. Um, I think God has given me a reprieve from that, that I just, I just stay on the, keep walking on the beam. And when I feel it kind of, you know, kind of shaky a little bit, I continue to follow these instructions. My walk-walk has to match my talk-talk. And so that's what I try to do. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Sarah W. Tara K. Did, did you say Tara K.? Yes, Tara. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you. When I was unmuting myself, you were talking. Okay. Um, thanks, Larry. It was a wonderful talk so far, and will continue to be so, I'm sure. Um, there was um, something that came to mind. I had one other question, but what came to mind was when you, um, you know, the questions that you answer like these seven questions that they mention, was I thinking of others? 
um, was I thinking of myself most of the time or was I thinking of others and what I could pack into the stream of life? It's come to me, you know, that during, when I'm thinking of others, when I'm, you know, my day is pretty much full of taking care of things for others. That's my business. Plus it's, it's my life having a mom and a husband and a bunch of animals and things like that. So it's pretty, I'm pretty busy thinking, you know, how, how am I going to get all these, um, all, all these acts um, that I want to, you know, give to others? How am I going to get that all in? And am I, I'm wondering, do you ever question yourself at the end of the day? Was I really thinking of them or was I thinking of me, me getting, you know, either what am I getting out of this? Not, not consciously so much, but unconsciously. And do you think that that's, you know, like, is God God looking not now you're, you're going to have to be God here um, for a minute. But do you think that, uh, when you're asking yourself, was I thinking of myself? Is how do you look at that? I don't think there's a very clear question here, but when I'm writing it down, I do write it down every night, you know. And, and the, the question is, was I thinking of myself most of the time? And I sometimes I say, well, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe I was still thinking of myself while I was thinking of others, and. Okay. Yes. The other question was just about the traditions. I think um, Charles had mentioned the um, do you teach the traditions, and if you have time for that too. Yeah. Well, I no. I the the first part of your question. um, The uh, you know do we have do do we as you know I'll I'll never have an experience outside a human experience. And a human experience for me is sometimes, it's varied. Sometimes I feel good. Sometimes I don't feel so good. Sometimes I feel uh, confident that I'm aligned with God's will. Sometimes I feel uncertainty. But all that's part of the human experience and the beauty of the the, the tapestry of of the human experience, you know. And um, so what I try to do what I hear, in, 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 you know, in, in your question is, you know, is there, you know, the I trust and rely on the God of my own understanding. What, whatever I'm feeling, am I feeling up today? Am I feeling down today? Am I feeling a little anxious today? Am I feeling full of passion and, you know, and and, and joy for life? You know, am I feeling uncertainty? You know. Um, I, for me, I just, you know, the, 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 the only thing that I can do is, is, is it's, it's being engaged in the repetition of what I did the day before. And the more that I talk about, you know, that's the most beautiful thing. The more we talk about recovery and what our experience is, 
not just the not just the, the, the spiritual awakening as it continues to to, to 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 unfold in our lives, but also, you know, the struggle. Because part of life is struggle and you know, part of life obviously is is suffering too. You know, so we, we suffer, we trudge, we struggle. But how how amazing is it that, you know, here we are, I'm in Chicago, you're where you're at layers over out east somewhere, you know, we're, we're on this phone together and we have this community, you know, this community that we are all each day together trying to get better and we're helping lift each other up, you know, and, and to me, that's the beauty of it. So when I feel that uncertainty, I don't stay in that headspace very long, you know, but sometimes I do. I wonder if I'm, I wonder if I'm, you know, I've had those questions before. It, you know, is, is everything that I do some, in some way, shape, or form connected to myself? For example, like when I do something nice for my daughter or I call my daughter, is that for her or is that for me? Does it really matter? It's about love and joy and connection. Of course, when I'm doing program, am I getting a benefit? Of course. When I'm speaking right now, do I get a benefit? Is that part of the reason I'm doing this? Do I need to really analyze that? I would suggest to you I do not. How am I living my life? What am I going to do when we all hang up? You know, what am I doing the rest of today? You know, am I going to be some jerk, you know, today? I'm going to sure try not to. So I, I hope that helps. And then to the traditions very quickly, because I know it's come up twice. The traditions are absolutely important. They're essential. That's why we, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a foundation, you know, for us, for this, this, this thing to be here 100 years from now, 200 years from now. Will there be a 12-step program that's still connected to the core basic idea of having, you know, of recovery? of having a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, that's why we need the tradition. So, yes, I, I talk about those. So, anyway, that's uh, how I would answer that. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Tara Kay. And, Isabel, you'll have our final question this morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service, Leah and Larry. Uh, Larry, you say that you were you suffered from... Um, Panic attacks and depression. So I was just want, wondering if you are still suffering from that, or if not, when did it disappear? I mean, is it when you stopped eating, or when you had your spiritual awakening? Great question. I get asked this all the time because I, I talk about it. Um, yeah, the I would say that the way I would describe it is I believe that I had a predisposition maybe even uh, on the neurological level, I would suggest to you that I had a predisposition towards um, anxiety, you know, without going into too much detail, who knows, maybe my limbic system in my brain, it's not, you know, the same as everyone else's, whatever the deal is, okay? But in order for that to manifest itself in my life, you know, certain things had to happen and they, and they did happen, you know, there were all kinds of different things that happened that, that probably allowed for that to emerge, so now your question is, um, you know, so when did that change? And it did, in fact, change. I don't talk about that as being cured no more so than I talk about my, um, you know, that, 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 you know, my, you know, my obsession, you know, with food and, and, uh, 
in being a compulsive reader that I'm cured of that. You know, it's just a reprieve. And so I also believe that my anxiety that I was treated for and depression is in remission. Does it crop up? It does crop up on occasion. But I have this design for living that um, has dramatically changed that. And um, uh, do, I, do I still rely uh, on good doctors and other, uh, and other professionals when, you know, if those things, um, you know, become, you know, more significant? Sure. But um, it, it just is one of the extraordinary things for me is that the panic attacks and the anxiety and depression seemed to diminish significantly to coincide with my spiritual awakening. <laughs> so was that, is that odd or is that God? <clears throat> I, I don't know. You know, um, I would just say that I've been, as a result of these steps in this program, I've, ha- I've gone through this process of recovery. I continue to stay on this you know, this beam of recovery and, and one of the many, many benefits, it's not just that I'm a hundred pounds less than five, 10, 160 pounds today. It's, it's also that, um, things like my anxiety and depression have, um, have diminished dramatically. I can have relationships, intimacy. I have generally peace and serenity. Um, it's quite miraculous. I, I'm a satisfied customer. So hope that helps a little bit. Thank you very much, Isabel, and thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Larry, for this beautiful time together. We appreciate your generous service this morning. My pleasure. Message of hope and possibility. We thank you so much. I'm going to close the meeting from page 164 in our big book, chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.